Welcome to the teaching ministry of Rev. Daryl Baker, pastor of Christian Faith Fellowship. Pastor Baker is fulfilling the call of God on his life to preach the Word of God without compromise. Raising up disciples who through faith in God will have a powerful impact on our world. May you be blessed through the message that Pastor Baker has to share with you today. May God's very best be yours. Turn to Matthew 7. Come on. See Matthew 6. Apologize. Matthew 6. I was looking at Matthew 7 on my page there. Matthew 6. So we're talking tonight about divorcing mammon. There are things that we want to separate from. There are things the Bible teaches us that we want to separate from, be separated from in this life so that we don't get adversely affected in a negative way from what obviously God wants to protect us from. And we're going to talk about this tonight in our study about divorcing mammon because it's something that Jesus addressed. It's kind of like what we talked about Wednesday night. What did we talk about Wednesday night? Steps to blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. Now, a lot of people won't teach on stuff like that because it's not a real popular message. But Jesus taught on it. And whatever Jesus taught on, we need to teach on. We're here to teach the whole Bible, not just what we want to pick and choose to make us feel good, but to truly understand the power of God's Word to help us to live out a life successful according to the Word. Amen? And obviously, if we do what the Word says, it will certainly have a positive impact on our life. Praise God. Number one on your notes, our Lord Jesus Himself told us. Who did? Jesus. He told us that mammon was, underline it, one of the masters. Mammon was one of the masters that we would need to choose to, that we would need to choose or to deny. Mammon is one of the masters that we have to make a choice as to whether we choose to submit to mammon or deny him as our master. All right? Matthew 6, 19. Matthew 6, 19. Jesus said, Do not lay up for yourselves. Treasures on earth. What did he say? Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. Now, if you put this in balance to the whole of the Bible, is it wrong to store money up, pastor, to a degree? No. But what he's saying here is you're going to see is that if your focus is not on mammon, you're not trying to keep putting more money aside so you can feel like I've got plenty to survive on, plenty to trust in. What the whole point is here is you're not supposed to be putting your trust in money. And people who think I got to lay up more, lay up more, lay up more, lay up more, so I got plenty, they're putting their trust in money, not God. So do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures where? Now treasures here, another word is treasury, treasury, wealth, money, finances. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. How do I lay up treasury in heaven? How do I do that? Anybody here know? It's not complicated. By giving to the kingdom of God. Everything you give to the kingdom of God, Hebrews 7 says... Jesus acknowledges it, and it's therefore acknowledged and recorded in heaven. God knows exactly what you've given for the kingdom of God since the moment you began to give to the kingdom of God. And you're laying up treasury in heaven, meaning that I'm not putting my faith and my my quote-unquote heart on the things of this world, including money. My heart is set on God. He's my source. He's my provider. Because when you sow that money to the context of the kingdom of God, you don't have that physical money anymore like money you put in a bank. But you have far better. You have God's increased promise and God's provision promise. Amen? 22. The lamp of the body, the lamp of the body is the eye. In other words, what illuminates the individual? What is it that brings illumination to the individual? And therefore, in the case of a lamp, guidance or direction, the eye does. And therefore, if your eye is good, underline, circle that word right there. I'm going to come back to it. If your eye is good, your whole body will be full of what? What will it be full of? 
So the body talking about, obviously, the exterior part of you, recognizing that my entire being will be what? Emanating with the light of God or the glory of God. So how do I do that? It's based on what your eye's on. I'm going to show you this. It's going to come back to that. 23, but if your eye is bad, which will be the opposite of good, your whole body, listen to this, will be full of what? Darkness. Darkness. That doesn't mean your spirit is. That just means, obviously, you're not going to be shining forth with the light of God that's in you. You're going to cover it up. Your whole, your whole body will be full of darkness. If, therefore, that light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? So back to verse 22 for a minute as we walk through these verses. And we're going to go to our notes in a second. If the eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. And that's talking about the glory of the Lord, the light of God. So what must I do for that to happen? I must have my eye and uh, focus on that which is good. So the word good here is interesting because the word good in the Greek language actually is the word single. Single. How do I actually have an eye that's focused on what's good? It's focused on one thing. It's focused on the kingdom. It's focused on God. If my eye is single, focused on God and God alone. Not stuff, not, not clothes, not homes, not toys. Not cars, not money, not things. If my eye is single, singly focused. See, you can't get focused just on mammon. Because you know what mammon gets you focused on? Stuff. Guess what mammon gets you wanting to do? Buy stuff. Do, get stuff with it. All right? But if I'm solely focused on God, guess what I'm not focused on? All the different stuff that's in the world that wants to become a God to me. So if I'm singly focused on God, what am I going to be? Full of light. But if I'm not singly focused on God, I'm looking at what is bad. What is bad in the eyes of God? Now listen, money of itself's not bad, but if you get focused on it, it is. Because what's going to happen is you're going to set your affection on that, and that's going to cause you to now get a constant view of everything else in life. You're not going to be single in your focus anymore. You can't look at mammon, money, wealth, and look at one thing. Because money causes you to look at all kinds of things. And therefore, all the things of this world, which, by the way, if you don't remember this, are going to what? Pass away. Right? right. right? It's all going to burn up. Is, are we saying money's bad here? No. We're saying the focus on it is. Because it'll eventually lead you to do something that's clear and wrong in the sight of God. It'll get you to love what is currently a big problem with a lot of people. Stuff, things, something other than God. And therefore, it's of the world. And guess who the God of this world is? Satan. Moving on, I want you to see this, verse 24. No one can serve. Say no one. It's an absolute. Absolute. No one can serve this way and no other. No one can serve two masters. Impossible. If Jesus said it, I believe it. How many believe it? No one can serve two masters. Either he'll hate the one and he'll love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. Now, before I go any further, I want you, I want you to get something here. He's not saying that anybody beyond what this scripture says has the ability to actually, quote-unquote, serve God and something else. Not possible. It's not possible. Because even though you don't think so, I guarantee you, you really do hate one, meaning that you love them less. And you love the other more. There is no such thing. You know, I've heard this statement for years. In a sense of what a person does may be true, one foot in the world, one foot in God. But the truth is, you're either all in with God or you're still in the world. Because you can't serve. Jesus said it. No one serves two masters. Nobody does. You're going to love one more than the other or you're going to what? You're going to dishonor one more than the other. And therefore, at the bottom of verse 24, what are the two masters? You cannot serve God and mammon. Interesting. He never talks about any other master. So in relationship to that verse, he says there's two masters in this earth available to every person to which they will serve one or the other. They're not in between. They're not on a fence to, to, to a degree to say, on the fence. well, I'm on the fence. No, you are actually either serving God or you're serving mammon. Jesus said it. I said, Jesus said, it. can't serve two masters. You're going to serve one, but not the other. So mammon, again, refers here to wealth or riches or possessions, anything of material value or worth. Moving on, 25, therefore I say to you, do not worry. 
I mentioned this this morning as we were talking about offering time. Uh, the actual phrase here in the King James is more correct. Literally, it states, take no thought. How do you worry? You take the wrong thoughts. Kathy was sharing her testimony a little bit at lunch today. We were talking a little bit about the depression she went through. I'll tell you how you get depressed. You take the wrong thoughts. And you primarily take them by speaking them. I've told you this many, many times. A thought by itself dies unborn. But if you speak it, you give life to it. It's not wrong to think bad thoughts. It's wrong to speak them. But you better not keep, speak, you better not keep thinking wrong thoughts because if you do, eventually you're going to speak them. You better counter those wrong thoughts with right words that will change your thoughts. Amen? So he says, I say to you, do not worry. Take no thought about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? In other words, true life has really nothing to do with the external. If it did, guess what? We would be chasing after that instead. But we already have true life, and that true life is in God, and that life is eternal because that's God himself. So clearly God's far better than any clothes that you could buy, any food that you could eat. Verse 27, he goes on to say, which of you, or excuse me, 26, look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them, doesn't he? Are you not of more value than they? I tell you, these are powerful things to think about. If worry starts to try to overtake you concerning finances, what should you do? How about doing what Jesus said? Come on, somebody. If worry starts to overtake you about getting your needs met, how about you just do what Jesus said? What did Jesus say? Look at the birds. You're worrying about being uh, a context, being fed, having enough, have enough food. What should you do? Look at those birds. If you have to sit and force yourself to look out of the window, watch the birds fly around. Say, you know what? God feeds them. Wait a minute. I'm more value than they. How do you know you're more value than a bird? I'm going to tell you why. Jesus didn't die for the bird. He died for you. You're not more valuable than a bird. And God feeds the birds. Right? I have yet to have any Christian tell me who's worrying about food. Well, pastor, I resolved that. I just started looking at the birds. But I've told, I can't tell me people have told me they're worrying about, you know, food and stuff. I said, have you looked at the birds? Well, no. Well, Jesus said to. You're looking at me funny like that calf looking at a new gate. Jesus said to do this. How about you do what Jesus said? I mean, think it'll work. Yeah. 27. Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? All that means is you can bring nothing of an addition that's positive to your life by worrying. Matter of fact, it'll take away from you your health. It'll take from you your peace, your joy. There's nothing positive added to your life through worry. 28. So why do you worry? Good question. So why do you worry? Good question. Why do you worry about clothing? So if you're worried about having clothes, well, I just ain't got nothing nice to wear. Let me tell you what you do. Stop talking about your clothes that you don't have to wear and do what he said right here. What do you say to do? Hey, consider the lilies of the field. Just look around and find some flowers somewhere. Notice how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. How many know Solomon had some nice clothes? Wealthiest man on the planet as far as we know. Elon Musk don't compare. Bill Gates don't come close. Not to the wealth Solomon had. How many think he had some nice clothes? But God's saying he wasn't even as close as nice, as, nice, as nice in my view as the flowers that I clothe. Now, if God clothes the flowers, can he not provide for you? Yes. Verse 30. So if God clothes the grass of the field, which today is, and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? 30, 31. Therefore, do not what? Worry. There it is again. Do not worry. Do not take any thought saying. Do not take a thought saying. Do not take a thought saying. See, the way you take the thought is you start saying it. When you start saying it, you start taking it. And when you start taking it, spiritual law, it starts going into effect. 
Therefore, do not worry, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For after all these things, underline it, the Gentiles seek. You're not a Gentile. So is that what you're supposed to seek? No. That's what Gentiles seek. Why? They don't know God. But, notice this, your heavenly Father knows you need all these things. Well, what's his problem? Why doesn't he provide them? He can if you're not in faith. If you're walking in little faith, you're not giving him much room of opportunity to work in your life. Amen. Amen. 33, he goes on to say, but seek first the kingdom. Make the kingdom of God your priority in his righteousness, doing that which is right in his sight. And all these things shall be what? Now, verse 33 is another absolute. It's this way and no other. Say, it's this way and no other. If you are seeking first the kingdom and doing what's right in his sight, all the things you have need of will be added unto you. If you don't see all the things you have need of added unto you, guess what you just found out? You're not making the kingdom a priority. In essence, doing what? I've told you this many times. What does it mean to seek first the kingdom? Kingdom. King. Dumb. Who's the king? Jesus. He's not dumb. Right? Kingdom. Kingdom. So what is don't? Dominion. It is the dominion of the king. If I truly have Jesus as the one in domination over me, he is the Lord. He calls the shots. Guess what? All things you have need of will be added unto you. If you are allowing him to direct your life and calling the shots and all the decisions you make in life, all the things you have need of will be added unto you. Who's deciding what you're doing with your money? Who's deciding what you're doing with your time? Who's deciding what you're doing with your business? Who's deciding what you're doing in that job you have or what job to take? If the king is, you're going to see to it that all things are added unto you. So that's what it means. He has to be Lord over my life. He has to be calling the shots. If Jesus is calling the shots, you ain't going to lack. If you are, he's not calling the shots. 34, therefore again, third time, do not worry. About what? Tomorrow. Don't be thinking about the days in the future. Why? Because if you focus on doing what I'm going to teach you starting next Sunday, every day, you're not going to even have to worry about tomorrow ever again. Because you're already setting yourself up for your tomorrows. Don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will worry about its own things sufficient for the days of its own trouble. That doesn't mean get all caught up in the trouble of the day. No, it's saying there's stuff to deal with today. But if you do what God says in his word, your tomorrows are going to be good. He's going to set you up for your tomorrows. So on your notes there, 1A, notice this. You cannot, cannot serve Jesus and the world's money system. Cannot do it. Cannot do it. 1B, you must choose one or the other. Now, in context to choosing, quote unquote, the world's money system, is it wrong to borrow? No. I mean, if it was wrong to borrow, Jesus told the children of Israel, I'm going to make you to be the lender, not the borrower. Better to be the lender than not the borrower. Are you listening? But if it is obviously wrong in the sight of God to borrow, why would he make the children of Israel a lender? Because it would be wrong to lend if it's wrong to borrow. Now, I'm going to tell you from our pastor, Dr. Barclay, who has straightened this out many times. I'm going to tell you from Dr. Sutton, who addressed one of his spiritual sons directly, and even Brother Hagen. Let me, let me back up. I apologize. Not Dr. Sutton. Brother Hagen. Brother Hagen addressed this in a book. Oh, what's the name of that book? Midas Touch. Brother Hagen wrote a book called The Midas Touch. Powerful book. And he addressed some of his sons in the faith. He said, you're going around telling everybody the scripture that says to to owe nothing to God but to love him has to do with money. That context has nothing to do with money. The context of that verse says nothing about money. Absolutely nothing. And this brother Hagin speaking. He said, you're teaching that incorrectly because you're pulling that verse out of its context. You can't do that and not mess with a verse. Now be careful, because again, if it's wrong to borrow, why would God say to the children of Israel, I'm going to make you the lender, not the borrower? Right. Now listen, it's far better to become the lender. Yes. Yes. I'm not telling you, you should just borrow for whatever you want. Not at all. Absolutely not. But I'm going to tell you this, guaranteed you're going to have to, leave some, you're going to, have to live somewhere, and if you're paying rent, guess what? You're getting none of that money back. Right. You still here? Yes. If you borrow wisely, 
basically wind up with payments that you would be paying for rent, guess what you're doing? You're investing money in something you're going to get back. Which is wiser, to give my money away for rent that I'll never see again? I'm not saying it's wrong to rent. It's not wrong to rent either. God's your source. God's your supply. It's not like you're wrong if you're a renter. That's not what I'm saying. But to say it's wrong if you're a buyer is just as ridiculous. Everybody has to obey God. But I'm just telling you, it's not a sin to borrow. Because debt, as Dr. Barclay has pointed out many times, he actually majored in finances in the context of his bachelor's degree in college. Majored in finance. He said debt doesn't mean you're in debt because you borrowed money. You're in debt when you can't pay it back. The moment you default on a payment, you're now in debt. You're in debt. You're not in debt if you borrow money and you can make the payment. Now, I guarantee you, a lot of people need to realize borrowing is not good in many ways because of the fact that borrowing can have very high interest rates. So you want to be careful. If you ever borrow, you need to do it wisely. And you need to do it with wisdom. I'm going with my pastor on this and Brother Hagen because he taught this as well. It's clear in the Bible, it's not wrong to borrow, but it's far better to be the lender than the borrower. I would not borrow if you don't have to. I'm going to say it again. I would not borrow if you don't have to. You know what you should not be borrowing money for? To buy a television. If you can't believe God to get the money to buy a television, you probably don't need to be borrowing the money for it. You still here? Well, I just put it on credit card. You ever looked at the interest rate on that credit card? Our church uses a credit card only for one reason. Because of the fact that we have to buy stuff online, purchase things, etc. But every time that credit card comes in, it's paid off. Amen. Immediately. Full check, paid off. Because it's just the issue of ordering things that we have to buy online that we can't get elsewhere. Or traveling expenses, etc. But understand, folks, you don't want to start making that credit card something you use to get every little thing you want. Well, I'm going to go use my credit card to buy a coffee pot. Wrong. Come on, man. Believe God for the money to go buy a coffee pot. Preaching better than your amen. So there's a balance in everything like John Osteen used to teach. And no, we shouldn't just be borrowing for everything. Amen. So clearly, again, the world's money system is not just borrowing. But the ideal is, of course, to, again, not have to. 1B, you got to choose one or the other. Say one or the other. So what is he talking about here about the world's money system? Putting trust in money. Putting trust in riches. 1C, mammon is nothing to take lightly because Jesus referred to it as what? A master. Which is defined as one who has what? Control over another. The word master means it has control over you. If the world's money has control, or if the, the, the riches, the quote-unquote wealth, and the things of this world that have value to them are your master, then they're controlling you. They're making your decisions. They're choosing what you do, what you don't do. But see, the key is, money isn't supposed to be our master. We're supposed to be a master over our money. 1D, where your treasure is, your wealth, guess what? You set your heart upon Right? 1E, we are not to worry about our well-being, but rely on the Lord Jesus for our basic supply. Correct? Yes, no, maybe. 1F, Jesus told us not to seek what the Gentiles seek, which is things, stuff. 1G, if we seek the kingdom of God and his righteousness first, making him Lord over all of our decisions, then all the things that the Gentiles seek will be added to us. Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. I don't fault anybody. I'm just, the, I'm responsible as a pastor to teach you the Word of God. And I'm going to tell you, you know, there's been things I've said and had to correct. But I'm just telling you, you and I got to understand, when we talk about mammon, we're talking about money itself, riches itself, wealth, possessions, all that comes about with the aspect of value. Gold, silver, diamonds, We don't want to get in love with any of that stuff. Our trust is in Jesus. All that is simply a tool to use for the purpose of which God intended for us to use it. In this case, in our day and hour hour we live, obviously to purchase things we have need of, as well as being able to utilize it for the purpose of God's kingdom. Any amens on that? Titus chapter 2, Titus chapter 2 verse 11. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared. Has appeared to all men. 12. Teaching us. What's teaching us? Grace is. 
What is that referring to? Jesus. He is the grace of God. Heaven's help. He himself gave us what we did not deserve. He is teaching us that we are to deny ungodliness and worldly lust. What does grace teach us? Not to fall in love with the world or the things of the world. No, it teaches us to deny ungodliness and what? Worldly lust. That we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in the present age. Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Who gave himself for us that he might, uh, he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. Speak these things, exhort, rebuke with all authority, let no one despise you. For the grace of God has appeared to do what? To teach us something. To deny what? Ungodliness and what? Worldly lust. So Jesus doesn't teach us to fall in love with the world. Jesus teaches us that we should not be in love with the world. Amen. Number two on your notes, the very reason grace was given to us was to enable us and empower us to deny what? Ungodliness, worldly lust. Two eight. God's grace upon us causes us to want. God's grace upon us causes us to want to deny the things of the world. God's grace upon us, what Jesus did for us, did not cause us to want the things of the world, but to deny them. Again, is it wrong to have anything of the world? No, it's wrong for it to have you. I said it's wrong for it to have you. 2B, you got to have a car to get around. Why not have a nice one? What's wrong with having a nice one? Jesus literally in his day riding that donkey into the town. I mean, in the context of what it really was, it was in the Bible very clear that this was a foal who had never been ridden before. In his day, that would have been a costly ride. Are you listening? Why do we need to know in Jesus' day? Again, understand, God's not against you having nice things. He's against those things having you. When Jesus died, they cast lots for his garments. Why? Why would you cast lots for his garments? I'm going to tell you why. Because they were the nicest garments you could buy. The Bible tells us that they cast lots for this garment that he wore, this undergarment, that it was one piece. They can't separate it. It's one piece. So we're going to cast lots to see who gets it. Why do we need to know that? Because if you go study the history of the time he lived, that one piece undergarment was made by hand. Specially hand woven. Most expensive you could have. Well, that was Jesus. Well, what are you? You're sons and daughters of God. Now, that don't mean you got to go buy the best of, you know, the most expensive of everything. But it's, I'm going to tell you what, man. It's like church stuff. You know, years ago, understandably, years ago when we started off, we'd buy, you know, wireless mics, just the cheapest thing we could buy. But you know what? We had problems with them all the time, interference with them all the time. They quit working on, on us all the time. The money I spent for so many junk pieces of, of equipment, if I had just believed God, I could have got good equipment like we have now the first time around. And Sheffield said... And, and then you don't deal with the junk stuff. Interference and all kinds of problems. We think a lot of times in church, we're honoring God by buying the cheapest stuff. Are you kidding me? Do you not remember the temple that was built in Solomon's day? I mean, God spared no expense. Think about this, to build a temple that he knew would be destroyed. If you think that building costs a lot of money, that thing don't compare to what God actually built in Solomon's day. Amen? Yeah, but it's going to be destroyed. So was the temple. It's a tool. It's here to serve God and do God's work. Because without it, guess what? People who tell me time and again, not in the church, but others, oh, you don't really need to be building a church right now. You've been to my church? No. Well, that's why you probably don't know why we need to build a church. Ask my nursery workers. How many more people can we put in the nursery, Candace? How many more kids do you think we could fit back there? If we had three more families show up with kids to, fill the, to go in the nursery, you going to have enough room for just three more families? I'm telling you what, if we just had two Gatlin families show up. <laughs> Those of you who don't know the Gatlins, you, I guarantee these people have babies. <laughs> Amen. I love them. Kenny's sons, man, I'll tell you what, they have no lack of workers growing up under them. To serve in the ministry, I will promise you. Two, two of those. We had one of them show up one night, and our children's ministry was full with all of our kids. Just two of those kind of families showed up. Our nursery's in trouble. We need space. 
I don't know about you if you walk around this church or not, but I have to reshuffle stuff all the time just to try to find somewhere to put stuff that we have to keep around this church. And it's tough. It's hard to do. So I'm just telling you, how I many know God wants us to have what we need? And it'll glorify Him. Amen? So uh, number two on your notes there, 2A, God's grace upon us again is to cause us to want to deny the things of the world. 2B, true grace doesn't make the shiny things of the world delicious looking to the Christian. Quite the contrary. Kathy and I were talking about today. She said, can you imagine we come back for the thousand-year millennial reign, you know? We were talking about how we even got, oh, we were, I stopped at a Starbucks. Believe that. I stopped at a Starbucks on the way back, got a coffee. So we stopped at the new one over, over in, uh, down from Trophy Club area, North Lake. And it's like a Tuscan-style building, you know? And she's, we were talking about the building. So it kind of reminds me kind of like the old fortresses and stuff. She said, I think they call it Tuscan-style, you know, like Italy or Rome or something. And then she brought up, which I have no desire to go there. I said, neither do I. She said, maybe during the millennial reign, you know, might go there or something like that. I said, you know what? Think about it. When we come back, do you think we're really even going to care? No. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do. I'm going to say, where's Jesus at today? Seriously. You're going to want to go look at something of the earth and not go hang out with Jesus? I'm going to say, tell me what Jesus rock, what rock Jesus is hanging out on today, and that's where I'm going to go. What shade tree is he sitting under? That's where I'm going to be. Come on, man. I want to spend some time with Jesus. And the truth is, the new heaven and new earth, this thing, I guarantee it won't compare to the new heaven and new earth. It's going to be amazing. 2C, you do your part to divorce mammon. There's something you have to do. You have to do your part to divorce mammon, and God will give you the grace and help to carry it out. Meaning what, Pastor? You better make sure and find out if you've got any quote-unquote fix or focus on anything to do with money, the love of money, or the love of things in any way. I'm going to tell you what, for years, I used to, I used to have pictures of a car I want, a picture of a truck, or a picture of this thing I want, a picture of that thing I wanted. All of a sudden, I started realizing, wait a minute, he said he would add all these things unto me. But I used to have people tell me, well, if you want something, you get a picture, you know, get a vision of it, get it before you, and all that. And, you know, there's some truth to the fact that you can obviously have a vision of something, but am I supposed to be seeking the things? No. 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 Nope. Seek the kingdom. That's right. It'll be added. All the things you needed yes. be added to you. Right. Preaching better. Amen. 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 Under number two, so grace teaches us to deny ungodliness. Grace is God giving you what you don't deserve. What did he give us? You kidding me? New life. Are you kidding me? Holy Spirit. He gave you authority. Gave you the power of God. If the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead lives in you. Excuse me. The Spirit that what? Raised Jesus from the dead. Where did he go? Into hell itself. What did he? Brought Jesus back from the dead. Where is he at now? Living in you. Did I deserve that? Lord, no. But he gave him to me. What's mercy? God not giving you what you do deserve. Thank God we're not going to get what we did deserve. Punishment, damnation, etc., etc. All right, Malachi 3. You're still with me? Malachi 3. We have to address this issue of mammon because I'll tell you right now, if you think you don't have a problem with it, great. I'm grateful if you don't think you do. What I'm telling you tonight is you need to continue to alert yourself to be aware that this will forever entice you. It will try to get you focused on it. It'll try to get you drawn into it because it's a master opposite God. Its ultimate overlord is Satan himself. At the close of this, it's not in your notes because since Pastor taught all this, he's learned some more things in relationship to this. There are five demons that work all the time in the function of mammon to try to get us to serve mammon. We'll touch on it briefly at the close tonight. Malachi chapter 3, verse 8. If you're there, say amen. amen. On your notes, number 3, tithing and giving, tithing and giving of our substance are living proof that we are following after the Lord. Amen. Living proof that we're following after the Lord. Why? Because we're not serving money. We're doing with it what God said to do with it, including giving tithes and offerings. Malachi 3 verse 8, will a man rob God? Yet you have robbed me. But you say, in what way have we robbed you? In tithes and offerings. You are cursed with a curse. God did not curse them. There is a curse in the earth. Well, I've been redeemed from it. Yes, you have. 
But it doesn't mean you're walking in that redemption if you're not walking in faith, which is simply doing what? What God said. You trust him, you do what he said. He said, you are cursed with a curse, for you have robbed me, even this whole nation. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse. Where? 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 So, Old Testament gives us a type and shadow of the new. What's our storehouse in the new? God's house, where we come to be fed the word of God. Bring all the tithes into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Well, we're not talking natural food, although there will be for people now to pick up. But that's not what he's talking about for us. He's talking about spiritually. The Bible talks about the word of God has a type of food that feeds your spirit man. And try me now in this, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open for you the windows of heaven and do what? Pour out for, for you such a blessing, there will not be room enough to receive it. Well, I haven't got there yet. Well, number one, realize that it's a process. Number two, you also got to realize in the sowing part, how many understand tithing, tithing is not what God multiplies back to you. Tithe is the Lord's. All you're doing is you're putting him first. And he says, when you do that, I can now rebuke the devourer, the curse, because you're choosing to be under my blessing. When you give offerings, now you're giving God something to multiply back. Amen. And if you sow bountifully, you will reap bountifully. Back up to Malachi chapter one. So you can see in this context, I know you know these verses, uh, but I want you to see in this context of the book of Malachi, what was the prophet Malachi being used by God to deal with of the children of their day? Giving. The whole book is about them giving their issue of how they dishonored God. Malachi chapter 1, you'll see this, Malachi 1 verse 6, a son honors his father. So how many of you know chapter 1 comes before chapter 3? Chapter 3 was revealing the problem is you're robbing me in the tithes and offerings. How were they, were they giving nothing to God? No, they were given to God. But you're going to find out it wasn't honoring him. 1-6, again, a son honors his father and a servant his master. If I'm the father, where's my honor? If you're looking at me and saying, you're my, you're my father, you're my heavenly father, then where's my honor? If I'm a master, you only can serve one or two masters. Come on, you only serve one or two masters. If I'm the master, then guess what? You'll show reverence. Where's my reverence? Says the Lord of hosts. To you priests who despise my name in the days of Malachi, yet you say, in what way have we despised you? You offered defiled food on my altar. See, one of the ways that they would bring their offering to God is they would actually bring food, harvest that they raised, animals that they had raised, right? Most of it was not already converted to any form of currency. Their currency primarily in this day was a harvest of crops, animals that they had to bring to God, to offer to God. Different than me and you bringing, you know, dollars and cents. But what did they bring? He said they brought defiled food. Read on. But say, they say, in what way have we defiled you? Notice this, by saying, say by saying. Watch this. You say the table of the Lord is contemptible. What do you mean the table of the Lord? The context of what he's saying is table, place of provision. You're saying, I don't provide for you. So why should we bring our best calves? Why should we bring our best bull? Why should we bring our best harvest? Let's bring to God what we can't use anyway. Let's bring the rotten part of our harvest. Let's bring the animals that are blind and lame that are useless to us. That's what they were doing. How do you know? Verse 8, when you offer the blind as a sacrifice, is it not evil? When you offer the lame and the sick, is it not evil? Talking about their animals. Offer it to your governor. Would he be pleased with you? Would he accept you favorably, says the Lord? Answer, no. No, you brought an animal that was useless to you. Guess what? It's useless to him. It's of no value to him. So what were they bringing? That which had no value. No value. Was worthless to them. And because it's worthless to them, guess what they're doing? Offering it to God. You know what that means? They're saying, God, you're worthless to me. That's what they're doing. And he's saying, you say 
The table of the Lord's contemptible. In essence, in essence, contemptible meaning what? That I really won't take care of you. And because you say I won't, you just bring me what obviously you don't have need of, like as if for some reason that's obviously acceptable to me. God didn't need their animals, folks. You listening? Those, those animals aren't being shipped to heaven and then barbecued and filleted. No T-bones being cooked in heaven. Right? No corn being shucked. No, he didn't need it. You know what? They needed his blessing. He didn't need what they had. Won't you hear me? He didn't need what they had. They needed what he had. And it's no different today. Well, he needs our money. Let me help you. If you don't give it, he'll still get his work done. He's been doing it for centuries with, with Christians that are rebellious that won't give. You know why? Because he's God. He don't need your money. But you know what? You need what he has to offer you. You need his blessing. Yes. Can I get a better amen? Yes. Notice this. So he said, you offer the blind. Is it not evil? Would your governor accept it? Verse 9. Now entreat God's favor. Come on. Entreat God's favor. That he may be gracious to us. While this is being done by your hands, will he accept it, will he accept it favorably? Says the Lord of hosts. Answer, no. So what do you mean? Uh, how, how can I entreat God's favor? Simple. Just do what he told you to do. Bring what he asks you to bring as an honor to him. Not because he needs it. Who gave it to you to begin with? God did. Honor God with what he gave you. If you honor God with what he gave you, why all this stuff, Pastor, about bringing an offering that would honor God? I'm going to tell you why. Because if you truly honor God with what you have, guess what God knows? Guess what God knows? Guess what God knows? You ready? He has you. That's what he wants. He's a jealous God. Guess what he wants? You. Guess why Jesus died and paid for you? Because he wants you. You know why he wants you? He wants you to experience him. He wants you to know him. But he can't get you to know him if he don't have you. Can I get a better amen? And our giving proves that he what? He has us. That's what he really wants. It's not about your money. It's the fact that he knows you're not in love with the wealth. You're not in love with what I gave you. You're not in love with the stuff. You're not in love with the earth. You're not in love with the things of the earth. Praise God. You're willing to honor me with what I blessed you with because guess what? You love me. And therefore, now I get to know I've got you. Hallelujah. Number three, uh, A, this is something that we must learn as believers. Because it's not something you've done before you were a believer. I certainly didn't. I wasn't a tither. Anybody here a tither before you got born again? I wasn't a tither. I didn't, I mean, you know, might have gone to church with grandma and threw a few, few pennies in her, a buck or something that mom gave me. But I wasn't a tither or a giver in that sense because I'm just simply doing what they're telling me to do. I'm just a kid. Right. Here's a dollar. Can I have something to throw in the bath? And the only reason you want to do it is because you see her bells doing it. So this is something we got to learn. It's contrary to the human way. Because the human way is not give. The human way is get. You listening? Why is the human way to get? Because the human way is affected by the old fallen Adamic nature. And that old Adamic nature is under the rulership of what? Satan. And what's Satan's way all about? I, 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 I. It's all about me. It's all about what I'm going to get. Three, which is totally contrary to the way God operates. Three B, we learn to honor God by giving the tithe and offerings consistently. If you're already not giving a tenth of your income, you're not a tither. You're not honoring God with what's his. Then therefore, God truly cannot have all of you. And that's why he, therefore, by you choosing. Think about it this way. Can I help you with this? So think about it this way. If I'm not a tither, does God really have all of me? No. So if he doesn't have all of me, who's really calling the shots in my life? I am. How can I walk? I'm making, obviously, ultimately Satan, but I'm calling the shot. I'm being the Lord of my life. So if I'm being the Lord of my life, am I really going the direction God wants me to go? No. You're your own Lord. If you're your own Lord and God's not, and ultimately, really, Satan's your Lord. But if you're your own Lord and God's not, how can God put favor on your life? Let me tell you, he, let me tell you why he can't. Because you're not doing it his way. And God doesn't change. When you do things God's way, guess what you get? Favor. Why? Because his ways are always ways of favor. This is why it's important to understand. It's not like we're earning something from God. God already has. I'll tell you again. I'm so excited about next Sunday. God already has spiritual laws put in place. And he can't change them. If he changes them, he's not who he says he is. 
You listening? And therefore, he has ways set up for us to walk in his blessings. How many know he had that from the beginning? And all he told Adam and Eve was just don't touch that tree. But they went and chose to do their own thing. And when they did, guess what they got out from under? God's way. And when they did, now they're out from under God's favor. Because the only way you can walk in God's favor is to do things God's way. This is why God's saying, when you tithe, you're doing things my way. Which is not the way the world does stuff. I'm not a taker, I'm a giver. And when you do things my way, the way I do them, you get under my favor. Because now you're walking out what obviously I walk out, which is the favor of God. Is that hard to understand? This stuff's really simple when you break it down. 3C, those who show him honor in their giving will keep him as the master of their life. If you're honoring him in your giving, now realize you can give and not honor him. 1 Timothy chapter 6, you can give and not honor him. Oh, here comes offering time. Oh, oh, I got to get rid of George. Okay, George. Okay. All right, George. I love you, George. I will miss you, George. Hope I get some more, Georges. See ya. That's not, that's not honoring God. I said, that's not honoring God. Come on, somebody. I said, come on. If you trust God, you know God's going to take care of you. And all you're doing is you're doing things God's way. How's God's way set up? If you give, it shall be. Right? Not if you treasure up. If you give, it shall be. Hallelujah. You know what believers are anointed to do? Spend money the way God said. God empowers us to do it. Especially preachers. I'm not anointed to take your money and put it in coffers and banks today and just store it up. We're storing some up for the building. Don't misunderstand me. I'm not here to store up everything you give. I'm here to sow it and give it to the kingdom because it's all about that very purpose of reaching people for the gospel. Can you imagine Jesus showing up? Um, I'll never forget this. Pastor said, I know one pastor. He has two planes in a hangar purchased. He has over three million in the bank, spends none of it, and he just keeps saving up more and more and more. He knows churches that are in trouble that are friends of his that need their actual payment paid off or their, uh, their, their church paid off, and he could pay them easily, but he won't. He just storing up more money, storing up more money. He said, you need to get out of the, out of the uh, gospel ministry. Yeah. He said, well, pastor, I just want to make sure that I got enough to make it to the end. Uh, you're not doing this the way God said to do it. That's right. You're trusting in your money, not God. Amen. You're anointed to spend that, right. not treasure it. Right. Now, if you got a problem with that, let me take control of those accounts, and I'll do what, what God told, told us to do with it. He told us to preach the gospel, not put it in a bank somewhere and store it up. First right. Timothy chapter 6. Verse 6, you there? Now, godliness with contentment is what? Come on, read it with me. Now, godliness with contentment is what? Shout it at me. That's shouting? Godliness with contentment is great gain. What's contentment? Not falling in love with stuff. If you're in love with stuff, you're not content. Because no matter what you get, it'll never be enough. Are you listening? See, contentment doesn't mean don't have anything. Contentment doesn't mean just be happy with what you got to a degree. Yeah, maybe true, but the, con- the, con- the context of contentment means I'm not in love with stuff. Because if I, was loving st- if I was in love with stuff, no matter what I had, it would never be enough. Can I get a better amen? So content means I'm not in love with stuff. So I'm not saying, oh, I got to have more or I'm not going to be happy. Verse 7, for we brought nothing into this world and it's certain we can do what? Carry nothing out. Having food and clothing with, th- with these, we shall be what? Content. Nine. But those who desire, 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 their desire, their passion, what they're chasing after. Those who desire to be rich, it's not wrong to be rich. It's wrong to desire to be. Big difference, but it's a powerful truth and you've got to be careful you don't cross the line. Those who desire to be rich fall into temptation. God said it. I believe it. I don't care what anybody else says. If my desire is to be rich, I will fall into temptation. I've watched it happen. I've watched it happen. Pastor's watched it happen. He's watched people come who were so broke, so down and out. Oh, and pastors started teaching them, but didn't, little, little as the time went along, guess what? Their whole desire was to just get rich. And God's principles started working. But guess what happened? After getting rich, a lot of money, temptation overtook them. And when the temptation overtook them, guess what? Less church, less God, less serving God. And here they go, and back to the world. Not good. I said, not good. 
Those who desire to be rich, verse 9, they fall into what? Temptation and a snare. A snare just comes up on you. And also into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men, drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. Now, you notice the word kinds of is italicized, wasn't in the original. But it is kind of actually referenced here. Because the love of money is the root of what? All evil. Which there's all different kinds. I said there's all different kinds. If we are in love with money, mammon, serving mammon, wealth, guess what? It opens the door for all types of evil to function in our life. For which some have even strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. Pierced themselves through. Pierce themselves through, all because they fell in love with money, riches. All right, number four in your notes, those who seek to get rich will only what? Hurt themselves. The love of money, one setting their heart upon the riches of this earth, can easily cause one to stray from the faith. To stray from the faith means to no longer walk in obedience to the things of God. Remember the children of Israel through unbelief did not obey what God had called them to do. Hebrews 3, 18 and 19. The Bible called their unbelief, or excuse me, their disobedience unbelief. Because they did not obey God, he said you were walking in unbelief. So you and I don't want to go that pathway, amen? For the sake of time tonight, because it's pretty long, you can go read this later on number five. David refused, if you remember this, at a time at the end of the book of 2 Samuel, a time of David's life, when he was repenting to God over some things that he had done, he refused to offer up to God those things that cost him nothing. God asked a sacrifice of him to be able to get rid of this actual curse that had come on the children of Israel because of David counting the people. It's a long story, but guess what he did? He obeyed the prophet, and he went and he offered up a sacrifice as he was asked to do so, and God removed the curse. But when he went to offer up that sacrifice, how many remember that the actual gentleman's uh, property where this was at was offering to give him the property and give him the oxen and give him the wood? And he said, no, if I don't buy it, I will not offer it to my God because it costs me nothing. Guess what? Others can't give offerings for you. You listening? God wants to see it come from yourself, knowing that you are in love with him. Just like, I remember David was a man after God's own heart. So number five, uh, David refused to offer up to God those things that cost him nothing. 5A, David knew that God knew where the sacrificial gifts came from. 5B, he knew that God would refuse them like Cain's offering if they were not purely and holy David's. 5C, David refused to let someone else offer a sacrifice on his behalf. Why? Because it's then not really an offering to God. Colossians chapter 3. We'll stay over here in the New Testament for the sake of time. Colossians 3. Meaning that we certainly are recognizing that if our hearts are right with God, we are not trying to get others to give us what we want to obviously honor God with or offer up to God. We want to know that we obviously have our own offerings to bring to God because if it costs us something, it means something to us. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1 and 2. If then you were raised with Christ, raise your hand if that be you. If you were raised with Christ, what are you supposed to do? Seek those things which are above. Seek those things which are Above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Number two, how do, verse two, how do you do that? Underline the next three words. Set your mind on what? Things above, not on what? Things of the earth. You died and your life is hidden with Christ. You're supposed to now seek the things that are above, not the things that are here. You're supposed to set your mind on things above, not the things that are here. Meaning what? Heavenly things. The aspect of what you have as a child of God, your inheritance. What God has done for you through Christ Jesus. Amen. Number six, you're to set your affections on the things above and it will serve you as a what? Protection. Protection. If you keep your mind on set on things above, I'll guarantee you less, less likely ever in your life that you're ever going to fall for getting in the context of a love of mammon or serving mammon. If you just keep your mind set on things above. Six A, when you set your mind on things above, you become what? Kingdom minded. And therefore you're no longer what? Worldly. Minded. Good place to be. Galatians 5. Galatians 5. Tell your neighbor, you got to deal with that mind of yours. 
Yep. God won't deal with it. You have to. You're the one that has to address it. You're the one that has to deal with it. Galatians 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 24. Number 7 on your notes. Living in Christ has proven to give us mastery over sin and lust. Even lusting after things. Say it again. Living in Christ has proven to give us mastery over sin and lust. So that we don't serve mammon, lust, desire of things. Galatians 5, verse 24. Those who are Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Where does this love of money and things come from? The flesh. If you're Christ's, guess what? You've crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. How do we walk that out? Verse 25, glad you asked. If we live in the Spirit, in other words, if we are born again, what should we do? Let us walk in the Spirit. So he's given you a key here that I want to share with you, powerful to help you to continue to walk in a position of not allowing mammon to be a master over your life. Uh, 7a, to live in Christ, we must learn to do what? There's the key. Walk in the Spirit. 7b, walk in the Spirit is being dominated by what? Our spirit man, who will be led by the... When you're dealing with stuff in life, you should be looking, and even seriously, man, don't just go buy something because you want it. Do you ever take time to actually listen to your spirit and say, do I have a check about buying that? Really, Pastor? Yeah, I'm not talking about, you know, bread and, you know, milk and basic staple things you need. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about stuff. Do I really need this new television? Should I buy this new television? Or if I buy this new television, is God going by the wayside in the evenings and now I just serve the television? See, God knows. God knows. If that's going to become a God to you, how many know your spirit's going to give you a check? Uh, You don't need that. Amen? So seriously, when it comes to things, you should be listening to your spirit, man. Because if you walk in the spirit, guess what you won't do? You won't give in to your fleshly desires. How do you not know if it's a fleshly desire unless you've done what? Check with your spirit to find out, should I buy this or not? Come on, somebody. Do you know I believe this truly with all my heart? Lester Sumrall said it. He said, this is back in the 70s, man. Sumrall said, I guarantee you, and he was preaching to thousands in his church, all you people could go home and probably do away with 70% of what you have and still live fine. He said, here's what you do. You go buy all your new stuff, but before you do that, you don't have room for it, so you got to have a garage sale to sell the other stuff that you no longer want. Don't get mad at me. Just preach it. As, just tell you what Lester Summerall said. So, so that you can go through this cycle and you can sell your other stuff that you have that you don't want anymore. So you can go buy new stuff that you don't really need anymore to put in your home. So somewhere down the road you can go make another, have another garage sale to get rid of the stuff that you don't obviously need any longer because you want to make room for the new stuff that you don't really need. But you got to have it for some reason. I'm not telling you don't buy new stuff. I'm just saying sometimes we get caught up in this stuff and we don't even realize that we're addicted to it. Guess who addicts you to it? Oh, I know, Lord, you're dealing with me and I should, you should not do that when I'm closing at the end of my message to deal with stuff like this because people don't like it. You know what the stores do? They dictate this to you. You listening? How many looking forward to fall in Texas? None of you? You looking forward to fall? Yes. Guess what the stores have already been doing for the past 30 days? They got all the little fall decorative things out because you know why? Because you ain't got enough in your house already. Hello? Well, that was last year's stuff. Well, is it still good? Yeah, what's wrong with it? Are you still here? Well, I got to buy a new gun. You got 15 others. What do you need to go for? See, you ladies said I was going to leave them out, didn't you? Now, I am not telling you to not buy false stuff or not buy. I'm telling you, you should pray. Because if you're led of your spirit, is this just a desire of the flesh? Because if it is, guess what it's leading into? Leading into uh, an actual serving of mammon. But if we're led by the spirit, we won't fall for the lust of the flesh. Can I get a better amen? 
Sometimes, I, and don't misunderstand me, but sometimes I think about all the things that I've spent money on in my life and how powerful that would have been to sow to the kingdom of God. How many more people could have been helped and changed? And I'm not telling you not to have nice stuff again. Not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying you, you got to do all this stuff in balance, folks. You can't do every time. That's what, and the stores know it. and They dictate it to you, man. That's why they're enticing you with all that new stuff. They mess with me with Christmas stuff. Yeah, I see that. Wow, that's cool. Man, I might need to have that for my office. <laughs> no, I already got too much stuff. And I got, if you've been in my office, I got no room to put anything in anyway. I took stuff out today just because I didn't know room for stuff. Some of it's been given to me, but it's like I ain't got no more room. I don't know if you see my office, but there ain't much room in my office. So if you obey the Spirit, you won't fulfill what? Lust of the flesh. Last verse, Daniel chapter 5. Let's go look at this one. Daniel 5 in closing. Now, don't get mad at your pastor leaving church tonight. And don't you husbands be going home and say, See, honey, I told you, you don't need no more false stuff. Uh-uh, don't you be pitchforking. And don't you wives be saying, Yeah, you don't need another gun. Did you hear pastor tonight? He might tell you to bless somebody with what you have. He may do that. Absolutely. Not saying that he doesn't. But when you got 15 fall items already that you have no place for, and you got to go buy 15 more, I'm like, mm, hmm, okay. Uh, Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5. I'm getting off of that subject. I told you, Lord. Going downhill fast, man. The ship is sinking. We need some patching of this ship. I'm not going there, Kathy. Not going there. I'm not touching on Hobby Lobby. Forget it. We'll have to get it at Cabela's and Bass Pro Shop and all that stuff. I'm not doing it. I'm going to read my verse in Daniel 5. Daniel 5. I'm going to read Daniel 5. You can go there if you would like to go with me to Daniel chapter 5. Seriously. What was my point there? Do you talk to God? I'm asking, do you? Because if you don't, everything you do is supposed to be led by the Lord. Every decision you make, God, do you want me to buy this? God, do you want me to get this? Right? Because what if he doesn't? I don't know. I'm just telling you, you better talk to him about it. Daniel chapter 5, verse 16. I've heard of you, Daniel, that you can give interpretations and explain enigmas. Now, if you can, read the writing and make known to me the interpretation. You shall be clothed with, listen to this, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and you shall be the third ruler in the kingdom. Wow. I'm going to give you all this wealth and riches if you'll just tell me what the interpretation is. Look at Daniel's answer. Daniel answered and said, Before the king... Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Yet I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. Now, I'm going to tell you what. Not a lot of preachers today would do that. Oh, yeah. No problem, man. Really? Wow. Gold chain, bunch of nice expensive stuff. All this. And third, third in the context of the rulership of your kingdom? You bet. I'll take it. You know what Daniel said? Don't want none of it. You know why? Because you don't pay for anything from God. You don't buy anything from God. Number eight, real men and women of God are not moved by money or possessions. Eight B, Daniel's heart was set on God, not riches. That's how you know. If his heart was set on riches, he just said, oh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Glory to God, hallelujah. You know, in essence, what he was saying was, it wasn't like he told him what the actual writing was and then said, here, I want to bless you. He's saying, if you'll tell me, I'll bless you. And he's saying, nope, ain't doing it. I'll tell you anyway, but I'm not going to receive the blessing because you trying to buy this from God is not how it works. I'll tell you just because God wants you to know. What if God didn't want him to know? He wouldn't have told him. 8B, God is able to use those whose hearts are set on him and not on what? Mammon. For they will be obedient to whatever God calls them to do. Amen? So guess what, folks? Do your part to divorce mammon. Don't fall in love with the things of this world. Or obviously the wealth of, the, of this world, the riches of this world. Make sure God's first. And if you do, 
I guarantee you, be a whole lot less that Satan can tempt you with to take advantage of your life in the last days. Because the thing that has probably corrupted Christians more than anything else you can name is mammon. We pray that you are blessed by the message Pastor Baker shared with you today. For more spiritual resources that can help you in your walk with God, or to invite Pastor Baker as a guest speaker, just go to our website at cffchurch.com. You will find additional teachings by video, audio, and printed resources that will be a blessing to you. May God's very best be yours.